We find people that basically can't make enough uh, to, to, to eat before they go into the fields. I don't believe that. I think that you're looking at other places that are not Central Romana. People actually who focus on and who like getting an orgasm never get one. Pull up your socks and figure out what you're going to do. <laughs> Any chance we'll ever get to be a completely red state? Oh, yeah. And for the future, it's always uncertain. Wherever but more uncertain now. And listen, Blue Ivy is six years old, Beyonce did, she tried to outbid me on a painting. Everybody in Atlanta right now at the Louis Vuitton store, if you black, don't go to Louis Vuitton today. That's why you need to take a meeting with Kanye West, Bernard Arnault. Hello everyone, welcome to Grubstakers, the podcast on billionaires. My name is Yogi Polywall, and joining me are my Back to Africa Movement co-hosts. Sean P. McCarthy. Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffries. And today we are going to be discussing Bola Ahmed Adakunle Tinubu, also known as Yikeni Amoda Ogunlere Hamid Sangodele Adenkele Tinubu, or my favorite, Bobo Chicago. A man who has taken advantage of the Nigerian city of Lagos to the tune of billions of dollars. Um, the research on this episode was from a documentary titled The Lion or of Bardilion, as well as this book, Asiwaju, The Biography of Bolane Ahmed Adukunle Tinabu. And uh, mind you, listeners, that this book is on Amazon retailing for about $400. And that's the hardcover, and the softcover is $279. Uh, I was able to find it on a Spanish third-party bookstore website for $27. Uh, I will say, since I've done that, I've gotten more Spanish YouTube commercials than ever before <laughs> in my life. So I read this book. Uh, it, it was over 500 pages. It was very long. Uh, the first 100 pages are various other Nigerian politicians talking about how great Bola Tinubu is. So uh, it's not 100% fluff, but it's a lot of fluff. Can I just say, I do encourage the listeners to continue sending Yogi books that are worth $800 <laughs> because he actually takes it as a challenge. I will say, like, when I was doing research for this, because we, we spent a little extra time making sure that this puppy was uh, extra caliente, and uh, I found the book online at, like, 3 in the morning, and I was like, what, $27 for this book? But that's worth $500. And uh, I will say there is some incriminating things in this book that I can understand why... Uh, the the Tinabu team has inflated the value of this book that much. So we will get into all of that dirt on this episode. We also all watched the documentary that uh, Bola sued over, The Lion of Bordillion. And Andy, it was also called something else? Uh, well, on, on YouTube, it has a different name, which is... Uh, and we, we think this is because he got or the makers got sued, but... On YouTube, it's Unmasking the Real Bola Ahmed Tinubu, Nigerian number one most corrupt politician. Right. Um, yeah, from that documentary, it's quoted as saying, uh, Bobo Chicago, as I like calling him, is maybe the most indicted governor in the history of Lagos State since its creation in 1967. So I want to remind the listeners that on these episodes, we won't be covering all of Nigeria's political history. Uh, we will be covering parts of it, including Bola's time in the Nigerian political system in our part two. But uh, in this part, we'll be covering a few things, but not all of them. Uh, yes, we should at this point say goodbye to all of our listeners who just turned it off when we said we will not be covering all of Nigerian <laughs> history on this one hour podcast. Yeah. Th that's, that's Yogi's side project that covers... Uh, every single aspect of Nigerian history. <laughs> He's bought 5,000 books. 
<laughs> and read about uh, three thousand of them so far. But so I think this is our this is our first um, African billionaire. Is that correct? Uh, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> We've had one before. Palmer might not have been on that episode though. I don't think he was. Yeah, we did Isabel dos Santos in Angola. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, for this Africa's one, richest woman and right. only bill- only billionaire. Oh, okay. She paid Nicki Minaj to perform in Angola, and Nicki Minaj fans were not happy about that. But Nicki cashed that check. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't expect anything less from Minaj. Um, yeah, no, I mean, Yogi was insisting for this episode that we intro it with um, Africa by Toto, and then... <laughs> Uh, play drops from coming to America, and well, he wanted to do this voice, and I just had to explain to him, Yogi, that's that's offensive. We can't do that for this episode. Well, it is a good thing that Yogi avoided that sort of offensive behavior and instead introduced this episode with the much more tasteful intro that we're all part of the Back to Africa movement, <laughs> which is uh, one of those movements that really, really depends on the race of the person advocating it. <laughs> Come on, bro. We're all part of Pangea. Let's go back to Africa, yo. Um, I do want to make it clear that uh, in doing this episode, I wanted to uh, remind our listeners that this is not a, uh, hey, uh, Nigeria sucks, doesn't it, uh, podcast. Uh, This is a podcast that depicts uh, billionaires as being corrupt, regardless where they're from. And so I've done my best to make sure that I'm pronouncing names correctly and not uh, butchering everything on the show. Uh, which is, I think, uh, more than I can say for some co-hosts on this program. <laughs> the uh, Nigeria Sucks podcast is Yogi's second side project. Well, what are you going to do? I mean, i got to cater to all audiences. You know, I mean, uh, i got to really round out my demographics that are part of the show. <laughs> yeah, we have nothing but respect for the Nigerian people. Some of my best friends I have email correspondence with are in Nigeria. <laughs> um, so, like I said, we won't be covering the entirety of Nigerian politics, but... Uh, uh, our good co-host, Stephen, does have a look at a bit of the history of Nigeria. So if you're like me and you knew basically nothing about Nigeria before doing 30 minutes of research for this episode, <laughs> um, you'll probably want 30 minutes of history just to get ready for uh, to know who Tinubu is um, and like where he fits into the political scene, at least a little bit, going into this. And... So basically, it was a British colony from 1861 to, well, the end of the decolonization period was 1960. And from that time, there have been a number of military coups, some of them successful, others not. The first such coup was in 1966, and it was carried out by um, the military against the Prime Minister Abubakar Tafawa Balewa. They installed one of the um, state governors as, eventually as prime minister. And there were a couple more coups. And the last one was in 1993, where that actually led to kind of like a military junta, Hmm. where they just ruled by decree for a little bit. Currently today, uh, after like a number of reforms, and eventually the military leader was like pushed out of power, Democratically, it's like more of it's settled into kind of a military is uh, mostly on the leash of like a parliament and they expect like parliamentary parliamentary politics where each of the 36 states 
in Nigeria has representation. So, like, they have a Senate. Uh, they have a prime minister and head of state and all that. Mm-hmm. But so, Steve, would you say the uh, British colonial influence was benevolent and helped Nigeria become a prosperous country <laughs> with a functional parliamentary system? Well, I, I uh, was reading up on this. Yugi um, sent me some links to look into, and uh, one of them was on this uh, woman who is alleged to be um, an ancestor. I, I'm going to bring that up Bull. later, Andy. Let's do that later. You know what? We'll talk about that later. Anyways, uh, we'll, I mean, we'll get to that later. But in uh, while reading into that, uh, one of the things they noted is that um, the transatlantic slave trade had been banned officially, but people were still taking part in the slave trade. And so under that pretext, Great Britain invaded Ni- uh, Nigeria to, quote, stop the slave trade. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's great. You you thought woke imperialism started with the Biden administration? <laughs> nope. Um, speaking of woke imperialism, sort of uh, during the during the colonial period, there's actually some records of the British administrators basically doing MMT, <laughs> and it's like it's it's a fantastic uh, confirmation of the theory, but also it was used for evil in this case. Mm-hmm. And so they imposed the direct tax liability in that was payable only in their money, and they made they they used that direct taxation to get people who were doing whatever they were doing before the British got there uh, to support themselves. Instead, they would go raise crops for the British companies and sell it to them at whatever price it happened to be at in the colonial money. And then the traders would then go sell it for European money. And that was the way that they could get force people to um, basically provide the initial accumulation for these capitalists. And so it's like it was an example of like, okay, MMT is true, but in this case it was used for evil. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, we should just remind listeners, uh, modern monetary theory is an economic theory, and one of uh, the premises is that fiat currency gains its value through the demand of the government taking it as taxation. Is that correct, Steve? Yeah, so it's, uh, in a nutshell, it's one of the main claims is taxes drive money in the sense that they give you a reason to need to go get said money and accumulate it in general, Hmm. like in the first place. Does anyone else, like, whenever they hear the word fiat now, just because of internet poisoning, picture Ron Paul surrounded by gold? <laughs> yeah. I just like these fucking horrible colonial uh, Brit administrators are like, dude, MMT Twitter's going to go crazy when they hear about this shit we're doing here. <laughs> yeah. These co- they sort of were posters bad, actually. Because they're... Uh, I'll, I'll post... I'll make sure the paper I'm referring to gets into our notes. But uh, there's records of these colonial administrators being like, okay, well, they're sort of like, haha, people think we're doing this be- for the tax revenue, but actually it's so that we can enslave people. <laughs> there's a, uh, there's got to be a, um, like a uh, think tank somewhere coming up or like using this as a pretext to uh, uh, attack Stephanie Kelton and her. <laughs> book the deficit myth <laughs> I just thought I'd give a balanced view you know it's a, it's a technology it can be used for good and evil MMT that is 
<laughs> the LaRouches were right, and Stephanie Kelton is a secret British agent <laughs> who's using MMT to enslave the population. <laughs> Was that one of their things? Uh, well, the LaRouches believe everyone is a secret British agent. Oh, okay. Yeah. My favorite, they used to be on my campus, and they would have um, posters of... Uh, They'd set up a table and have posters with Obama with a Hitler mustache, mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. uh, one of one of the posters they also had was uh, of a parrot uh, with a speech bubble that said "Crock, Obama's a cracker." <laughs> <laughs> they were fun to have around. Just seeing those, one of those, like, "Up, oh, you won me over." <laughs> Guess I'm gonna learn about the royal family now. <laughs> I uh, I would like to let our audience know that so far uh, there is no Epstein connection to uh, Bola Tinabu uh, at, as of this recording, but we'll see what happens over the next few days. Um, before we continue uh, this episode, I do want to give a uh, shout out to the uh, person who suggested this billionaire to me on Twitter. Uh, thank you, Agent Jacko the Galactic Patrolman. Uh, f- <laughs> this is uh, for the suggestion as well as clarifications on some of the finer details for the episode. Uh, first of all, I want to mention that there is a woman who Annie mentioned a moment ago who is celebrated as an African hero for being a slavery abolitionist while also participating in the slave trade herself. Her name is Madame Efronye Tinabu. And uh, so when I saw that she shared the same last name as our Tinabu, my eyes lit up and I went down several internet K-holes on if there was any relation between our billionaire Tinabu as well as this Madame. The story for the Madame Tinabu, briefly before the episode begins, is she had many husbands who mysteriously died. Quattro. That's right. There were four of them. And as was reported, she was she used seduction and charm to get her way with mounting dead ex-husbands at, and a rise in the mid-Atlantic slave trade like Stephen was bringing up a moment ago. Uh, this next section of her history is quoted from uh, listone.com, which had a profile on Madame Afronier. She continued in local slave trading and extended her prowess into tobacco and salt. Do you know what modern political movement could have saved her husbands? Huh. Men going their own way. <laughs> <laughs> like, just fellas, be be brave out there. You never know when you're going to be uh, dead husband number four <laughs> to an Atlantic slave trader. This is before uh, medical technology was able to produce the red pill. <laughs> Uh, still a few years off before the red pill was introduced. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if only they had read it. <laughs> Continuing uh, the profile here, uh, following her husband's death, two years later, she reportedly used her influence to install her stepson, Aluale, as the Oba of Lagos over that of Kosako's, ensuring her continued access to the commercial and other advantages associated with royal patronage. Shortly after she married her dead husband's military advisor, Yasufu Bada, Madame Efronye continued to extend her trade and ventured into the palm wine business. Through her marriage to the military advisor, she established contact and trading partnership with the Brazilian, Portuguese, and other European traders. Madame Tinabu created a monopoly in the palm oil business and in slave trade as well. The ammunition she got from selling slaves were used in the Yoruba Wars of 1840s and 1850s. It didn't take long for Madame Afroni to partner with the British to trade African slaves. She became even more powerful after helping her brother-in-law, Akatunye, become the new Oba after the sudden death of her stepson, Oba Alue. You want to hear all of her husband's last words? Hmm. 
Honey, did you put extra almonds in the dinner tonight? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, husbands aside, she's very proto-Clinton. Yeah. Just trading slaves for guns. I mean, she's really competent. You know, this is like the mid-1800s when she's doing this shit. Like, she is like a modern-day player. Uh, In the Nigerian, like, film industry, there have been like three or four different... Madame Ifrunier movies made about her life because like in Nigeria she's celebrated as a hero of the nation being sympathetic to slaves like they look at her like she helped end the slave trade with uh, the foreign countries um, but I, on her Wikipedia though this claim is refuted as often cited hagiography about Madame Tinubu by Ola Dipo Yemitan paints a different picture of an unapologetic and profit-minded stance this is from her Wikipedia on one occasion, during her final sojourn in Abakuta, she was alleged to have sold a young boy into slavery and was accused of it. When arraigned before... Hashtag girl boss. <laughs> a good debate, <laughs> Alatis, over the matter, she, report, she reportedly explained, I have a large household and I must feed them well. I need money to do that. That's why. Um, <laughs> so this person was just... <laughs> uh, Steven just put a uh, emoji fight... Uh, in our Skype feed. Um, in another section of the biography, uh, it talks about Madame Tanubu tells another slave trader, Domingo Martinez, that she would rather drown the slaves 20 in number than sell them at a discount. So this woman was a fucking mean bitch. She, you know, like, I'd rather drown my slaves than sell them at, at half off. Right. She her uh, her life was what happens before the start of the movie Amistad. <laughs> Here, here's what uh, how the um, the Guardian Nigeria's feature about her starts. Efun Poirier, Ostun Tinubu, Alomosa, later known as Madame Enfromye Tinubu, was an astute businesswoman, kingmaker, and the first woman to kick against British rule in Nigeria during the colonial era. Mm-hmm. You know, it is something where, I guess kind of with the, the modern feminist movement, uh, there's been some backwards looking to try to find female heroes from history. And of course, you know, there are like very powerful women in history. It's Sean, just, why uh, are you history, hard? <laughs> history is a horrible story of death and war. So the actual uh, powerful women in history are just as bad as the men for the most part. Mm-hmm. So it just gives you this kind of like weird situation where you have these horrific slave trader women who would rather drown their slaves than sell them at a discount <laughs> being held up as like modern Hillary Day, Hillary Clinton's which in fairness you know actually that is a pretty apt comparison sure yeah she was proving that you really can't have it all <laughs> you don't have to settle for half price for your slaves <laughs> so now from my research and from uh, questioning our source uh, agent Jacko Technically, there is no relation between Bola Tinubu and Madame Tinubu, is, is what I found. But, Stephen, as the least racist member of the podcast and all-around objective <laughs> neutral of the podcast, if you could take a moment, okay. look okay. up uh, Madame Ifone Tinubu. Just go look her photo up real quick and tell me if you think that her and Bola look alike. Listen, listeners at home, feel free to do the same. Let us know in the comments if you believe... I think all black people look alike, or these two people do have a similar complexion in terms of how their faces are shaped. Now, Steve, if you don't want to look at Bola, let me, I'll, I'll look up, a, actually, I'll do you one better, Steven. Look, look up Madame Ifrunier, and w- let me know once you see her. Hmm. Okay, I see her wiki. 
All right. So now, now look at my screen on the I don't know left or right. The one with the veil is Bola's mom, and the one with the fez is Bola. Tell me these two people don't look similar, huh? Sean, Andy, you can get in on this too. Well, Disapera blog says they look similar, but I don't know uh, sure, whether it's if you say whether so. or not it's a white guy writing the article. That's that's moderately fair. But Stephen, at least admit to me that his mom and him look like they got the same face. A little bit, I guess. Right. Yeah. All right. So, can I just say, as the most racist member of the podcast, I get the largest share of the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I won the award. Sean, what do you think? Do you think they look alike, the fucking Madame Trinifu and Bola? Well, yes, but uh, (laughs) based on my aforementioned award, I don't think the listeners should trust me as an objective observer. So I, I, when I first found out about this, I asked our source, and uh, he, he let me know that there is like a Tinubu Square in Nigeria, but that square is just named after uh, the leader. There is no relation between Bola and Madame Fournier. Oh, when we were pitching this episode, uh, Sean took one look at the picture and was like, we already did Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 guys... On page 185 of this book, because I did read all this piece of shit, it talks about how also, this is uh, later on in the story, we're going to talk about how Bola Tinubu moved to the U.S. Uh, when he was in his mid-20s. And before he moved, his parents were giving, or his mother was giving him advice about moving to the U.S. Also, there was another Tinubu family member in New Jersey that Mama Mogaji drew the attention of her son, Bolane, as he prepared to leave Nigeria for the United States. His name, Henry Tinubu, who was born on December 20th, 1944. Moving on to the next page here. Uncle Henry died on December 22nd, 2009 in the United States, but lived most of his life in Hackensack, New Jersey. Henry Tinubu married an African-American lady from South Carolina, where she later relocated to after Henry's passage, and much has not been heard of the fourth generation of the Tinubu family, starting with Madame Ephronie Tinubu. So, from the book I did find, there is a family connection between Bola Tinubu and Madame Ephronie Tinubu. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. I read a book, and it paid off. Well, I mean... (laughs) Well, That's first going of in all, the episode description, Yogi read a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I do want to congratulate Yogi on that uh, uh, research that we have definitively proved it. But I mean, it is like Bola Tinubu, as we'll get into with his biography, goes to private schools. He's able to study abroad in the United States. Mm-hmm. It's like who has the fucking which children, the children of which people in post-colonial Nigeria have the money and resources to do that. Mm -hmm, Probably the descendants of the people who were slavers and cooperators with the colonial administration. It's just uh, capital multiplying through generations, as we've seen uh, several, uh, over 200 times on this podcast now. Yeah, his mother was already a well-established, like his, you know, not someone who speculated to be his mother. His actual mother was a well-established business magnate. Mm -hmm. Um, and so his family was already well established. And I, I don't imagine his mother, you know, came from nothing. I'm guessing there was probably money in the family, as there always is. Um, He's in like the 1%, basically. Yeah. Of Nigeria. You know, it's tough to say. Like, I I know that he has a connection to this madam. So in some of the, by the way, we also used a forum called Naira Land for some of our research. And boy, that Nigerian forum on uh, Lagos and all things Nigeria 
fantastic. I've learned more about Nigeria in the last three weeks than I thought I would in my entire life. And I have to say, Nigerians, some fantastic people, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't know a Nigerian, get yourself a Nigerian friend. Yeah, I, I used a different I used a different forum for my research. <laughs> they did they were talking about Nigeria a lot there though, but they seem to have a different perspective. They're also talking about that country that borders Nigeria. <laughs> They probably weren't spelling it right, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of typos in this <laughs> Nigeria forum. <laughs> on, on the Nairaland forum, there's um, this uh, uh, wonderful... They have an agriculture section. And uh, mm. just yesterday, I was, I was clicking through it, and they had this... Uh, uh, one of the top topics was identifying your ducks, hashtag rye farms. <laughs> Um, and it says, hi, everyone. I know some of us here still don't know the difference between foreign ducks, parentheses, mallard derived, muscovies, parentheses, local ducks, and mullards, all caps, which people sometimes mistake for a foreign duck. Well, obviously, from the looks, you can tell the difference. Below is a pic of some of my foreign ducks at Rio Farms. And then it's several pictures of ducks. It's uh, it's very adorable. <laughs> that's That's nice. That's like practical. Can I just say, Andy told us that story yesterday, and it was just so pure. It just reminded me of like what the internet was before the CIA and Silicon Valley destroyed it with hate <laughs> algorithms. <laughs> like, you remember when people were just like, hey, check out my ducks, instead of let's get this person fired and destroy their life. <laughs> I love that. It's just practical advice for like, hey, if you're having trouble distinguishing what type of ducks you got here, let me, let me just explain this to you. <laughs> yeah, this whole time... Maybe that thing about, um, like the Nigerian uh, prince stuff, like that was that wasn't really a scam to take Americans' money. It was just to get uh, most of the Western world to ignore the Nigerian internet so that they could keep it out. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pure. Yeah. There is another uh, family connection via a viral TikTok star named Mr. Tove, but uh, we're going to save that information for part two. Before we do our bio on Bulletinabu, we're going to share a story or two here uh, that refers to his controversies that are occurring at this time. Sean? Yeah, so Bolatinabu is nicknamed the godfather of Lagos. Uh, Lagos is the wealthiest state in Nigeria. He's the former governor of Lagos State. And even since leaving, he's still kind of a, a political power player in Lagos, kind of a, a Robert Moses figure. And uh, Yogi sent me this very, uh, to me, funny story. Uh, I'm sure for the people who live in Lagos, it's not quite as funny. But this is from the <laughs> orientaltimes.co. It's a story uh, in October 2019, I'm quoting from it. The Economic and Financial Crimes Commission on Friday received a petition to investigate the source of money conveyed in bullion vans to the home of all progressive co uh, Congress national leader Bola Tinubu on the eve of the 2019 presidential election. So the thing is... What I love about that story is that it doesn't say uh, gold bullion van, van was right. pulled up to his house. It says vans, plural, <laughs> were pulled up directly to his house on the eve of the 2019 How presidential like Nigerian Forex? election. <laughs> yes. I mean, a van and, can only uh, support so much weight and gold is heavy. So this petition was uh, submitted by a private citizen or the uh, the head of Concerned uh, Nigerians as an anti-corruption group, uh, DG 
Adianju uh, submitted this petition to the Economic and Financial Crimes Commission. The petition reads, quote, the commission would recall that it was reported all over the news that bullion vans allegedly containing an undisclosed amount of cash were seen entering the home of Bola Tinubu, former governor of Lagos State, on the eve of the, of the Nigerian presidential elections. Tinubu himself admitted to this fact while responding to questions <laughs> by journalists. And uh, he submits a uh, list of questions he wants the agency to answer. Answer: What are the bullion vans doing in the house of Bolatinabu? Who owns who owns the content believing to be cash in the bullion vans that were seen entering the house of Bolatinabu on the eve of the Nigerian presidential elections? Uh, quote: Has the commission based its on its core mandates investigated the sources of the bullion vans? And is Bolatinabu's house now a bank where bullion vans now take money to? <laughs> And uh, he, he called on uh, the commission to investigate those questions, and so far we have not heard anything back from them. It it sounds like he's just Andrew Cuomo. Is, oh, Andrew has gold running in and out, too? Probably. <laughs> from the mayors? From the government. Does that house. seem inconsistent with anything else he's done? <laughs> but you just imagine the person trying to bribe bola tinabu with a single brinks truck full of cash and him being like what what do you take me for some sort of cheap whore you're gonna need at least three vans i I need plural bullion vans before i will get out get out of bed in the morning that's so cool there was another scandal that happened uh, that we'll cover in part two involving the lecky tollgates protesters and guns but after that incident tinabu's son sei allegedly jets out to london with his family and that was in october and then a few weeks after that it was reported that tinabu's son kidnapped in london uh, Sei Tinabu, son of former governor Lagos uh, State Bola Ahmed Tinabu, was kidnapped in London. Uh, it was allegedly whisked away by protesters as a form of retribution to his dad over a silence on the NSARS protest and rumored participation in the massacre at Lucky Tollgate, which we will cover in part two. So uh, the Tinabu family is uh, uh, always an exciting uh, uh, bunch, if you know what I mean. Hmm. Yeah, and I mean, just kind of before we start the bio to give people the too long didn't read is uh, the guy built a fortune through political corruption and favor trading and stuff. And uh, the documentary we mentioned at the start, The Lion of Bordillion, estimated he'd, he'd built a net worth of companies and properties through his political office holding uh, that was worth in 2015 over 1 trillion Naira, mm-hmm. the Nigerian currency, which I believe we converted to about 3.2 trillion or 3.2 billion That's right. US dollars. Mm. But it is nice that we are covering our first trillionaire on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we we haven't gotten into the Zimbabwean trillionaires yet, so. Mm-hmm. Well, there's always time if we're not murdered by the Tinubu family. <laughs> Yeah, just, just another few months. Elon Musk will be there. <laughs> uh, correction, it's uh, 2.6 billion. I don't know. Someone might billion. be a stickler about that, but I've got I got the conversion up. Nice. Oh, you use you use the 388 for it or so. 388 to huh? near to one dollar. By the time we're done editing this, there's going to be a rally on the Naira on the forex market, <laughs> and our numbers will be completely <laughs> out of whack. It's update everything. <laughs> It'll achieve Somewhere. parity with the dollar, and he'll just be the emperor of the world. <laughs> well, you can see why he's hedging with gold. So, it's true. Yeah, that's why the bullion yeah, trucks show up. Yeah, that's why the bullion trucks are in play. <laughs> 
So moving ahead onto the bio of Bola Ahmed Adekunle Tinabu, the book goes into detail about how Nigeria had a education first reform that Bola Tinabu was born right after. Um, there are some conspiracies involving how old Bola is, because in 1999, when Bola was contesting the governorship election in Lagos, he was questioned about why his birthday was listed as 1952 and 54 and 58, uh, and on his passport, it was also that his name was listed as Irigbiji and his name being Adam Mabola, which is just suspicious. I don't know anybody who needs to change where their name is or date of birth for any reason that isn't malicious. We'll get to it later, but I do just want to say the most relatable thing about this guy is that on the forms he filled out when he ran for political office, he lied about every single school he ever went to <laughs> <laughs> and upgraded all of them. Yeah, that, that is something that definitely happened as well. Uh, from the book in, involving his date of birth controversy, uh, some people say, or some of the people, mind you, the book is very biased towards Bola, obviously. Um, but in the book, one of the people that knew Bola said that if you wanted to apply for a foreign visa, especially to the U.S. or the U.K., the office that would issue that would put a stamp on your passport. And if you're told that, hey, you can't go to the U.S. or the U.K., you couldn't come back because you already had a stamp on your passport saying you've already tried this. And so people in Nigeria supposedly would just leave and then get another passport. Like they'd be like, my name is this. I need a new passport and then show up and try again. So some minor general immigration fraud uh, was, could have taken place allegedly. Yogi would like the listeners to know that that book where the first 100 pages are testimonials from friends about how great the subject is, is biased towards the subject. <laughs> <laughs> One of the links Yogi sent me was a, um, a Forbes interview with him where it was just the most masturbatory thing where he's like, oh, yeah, when we started out, we we only had a World War II era tanker and it went five miles per hour when it was running. But when the tide <laughs> was against it, it moved backwards. And I was like, oh, why why do I have to read this like stupid shit? And then like now I'm realizing like, oh, no, Yogi read 100 pages of this kind of bullshit. This, this uh, is the type of shit that I read. Tinabu is a fighter, a fighter for civil liberty, a fighter for democracy. And that is how it should be. He fought for democracy in the Third Republic when Abiola's mandate was annulled. And today he continues to fight with whatever God has given him. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> it's like, I'm telling you, the book doesn't even start for like 70 to 100 pages. It's, it's, it's hilarious. It's like, you look at this book and it's like, this is a thick fucking book. Asiwaju leaves everyone in awe. He has more going on in life than most people have in a whole lifetime. He's an inspiration to many and those of us who know him. He is awesome. Honorable Femi GBAJA Biamila Bajamilia, House Leader Nigeria's 8th House of Representatives National Assembly Abuja. Uh, FCT Nigeria. So there's a lot of there's a lot of that in this book. How many other podcasts read 100 pages of friend testimonials just to start the research? <laughs> Listen, if I didn't read them fucking 100 pages of bullshit, I wouldn't have found out about the madam. And so 100, well worth my time, unfortunately. So uh, from the documentary, uh, Bolotinabu is the biggest landlord in Nigeria, and we'll continue that later. But keep that in mind as I begin to tell you all of the details about his youth. Uh, his father died at a young age, and his mother raised him primarily. He supposedly went to St. John's Primary School in Arolia, Lagos. 
Did his father die in the traditional way members of the Tinubu family die? Shortly after eating dinner prepared by their wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't think he was, unfortunately. Yeah, his mother, whose name was Abiyatu Asebi Mogaji, is Bola's biological mother, and she was born into the Mogaji family on Lagos Island. Maybe we should also mention um, Yogi. Uh, Lagos is like by it is like a third of or no a quarter of of ninety Nigeria's population, and it has a GDP of like one hundred thirty six billion. Like a lot of like a lot of like forecasts of urban development for Africa say that Lagos will be like New York City or something in like twenty years. Definitely. So like they're they live in like an area, uh, one of the wealthiest areas of the wealthiest one of the wealthiest cities in Africa. Yeah, I believe that because of the slave trade that we discussed earlier in the episode, as well as a few other factors, Lagos became a port hub and the largest epicenter of business and commerce in Nigeria. So Bola Tinubu being born in that area certainly added to his benefit of what he would do later with his life. Yeah, Lagos Island is is from what I understand, more or less Manhattan. Mm-hmm. It's it's basically Wakanda. Um, so, <laughs> Stephen, you're supposed to be the least racist. <laughs> so he would. Uh, well, well, well. Look who just moved into second place. <laughs> <laughs> Might have some competition in next year's voting. <laughs> they mined vibranium. So uh, <laughs> that's for that's the real source of wealth. <laughs> Let us know in our comments what you think. Who you think is the most and least racist on our show? Rank us, one through KKK. <laughs> um, so he went to uh, St. John's Primary School, but then you would like to note that Pakistanis aren't a race. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, the IP addresses of everybody voting for Yogi seems to uh, entirely be concentrated in Kashmir. <laughs> Listen, just because I hate Kumail Nanjiani doesn't mean I hate everyone <laughs> from Lahore. Um, all right. This is a tough episode for Yogi to do because there's a lot of geopolitics between the Modi government and, <laughs> and, and Lagos. There is like a similarity between uh, Bola and Modi. Like Modi promised to install a toilet in everyone's that votes for him's home. Uh, one of Bola's promises oh, that really, get, everyone who votes for him. Yeah, I, I believe it was everyone. <laughs> well, I mean, every he, everyone, but I believe the the claim was everyone that will vote for him. Um, but uh, with Bola, he claimed that he will build ten thousand homes for the Nigerian public, and that never happened either. So similar uh, lying to the people happened between the two of them. Okay, so oh, so he's a little bit of uh, Bill De Blasio. <laughs> yeah, definitely. yeah, that. Uh, that promise uh, that he would build 10,000 houses for the poor on his first run for governor and then he just didn't do shit. Uh, it kind of <laughs> reminds me of when I play Tropico and I have an election coming up and I just make a bunch of bullshit promises and then just I and then I just build a bunch of military bases and police stations and I go through the spreadsheets of opinion polls and I look for every citizen who disapproves of my government <laughs> and I have them arrested or killed. <laughs> So it's like, I understand why people do it in real life. It's pretty fun if, if you get it on PC. <laughs> Sean spends eight hours a day playing Tropico. What is Tropico? work, sleep, Tropico. Yeah, I've automated my job, so I just play Tropico <laughs> full time now. <laughs> so in 1965, Bola would enter 
uh, St. John's Primary School, which from the book said that there were about 600 students in total at the school. Um, later on, his mom would enroll him in children's homeschool in Ibadan, and that place was like, basically, instead of teaching 600 kids, it would go from that to like a group of like 15. And he, they credit that specific school with having a lot of people that would later become politicians and business runners. So in, um, in, in 1966, he would go to the children's homeschool. After his time at uh, children's homeschool, there's not too much about Bolin's childhood. He says that he was a little bit mischievous, and his mom liked that he was a rascal because the rascals always try to do things differently. Um, by the age of 20, he really wasn't doing that much. He had like continuously stolen his uncle's car to where his uncle was like, screw it, I'm just going to get another car and you can have my shitty Vita bug. <laughs> and like him and like his 11 friends would like take the car and go to like parties and stuff. And apparently at one point he went to like a festival and there was like a shooting and his mom was really worried. And then around then... She basically, his mom is quoted as saying, he was a bum. He does nothing but hang out. He's been doing nothing for three years. <laughs> uh, yeah, he talks about uh, Bola lived it up in those days. We really had a good time. Tundi, Badejo, Balaji, Agaba, Rashida Bina, these are his friends. There was a popular time. Eleven of us packed ourselves into a Volkswagen Beetle and headed to the University of Ibadan, though Majidun Ikuru Road for the Havana night. As we were going through Majidun, one of the car's tires burst and we had a serious accident. So the guy's just chilling in early his 20s. He doesn't give a fuck, you know. <laughs> just born a little later, he could have been fifth Mike. <laughs> <laughs> And by the way, for the listeners, that sound of uh, page turning that you hear from Yogi, that's him squi- uh, skipping through 20 pages of friend testimonials <laughs> to get to every biographical detail. Uh, that's, well, that's in keeping with, if you try to look up Bella Tinubu in, like, Nigerian press, it's, like, either people who are sort of, like, the documentary hate him, but a lot of them are, like, just Bella stands. Yeah, right. Pretty much. Also on social media. So, on advice from his uncle, uh, he decided to take education outside of Nigeria. At that time, people would choose to go to the UK over the US, but his uncle advised him to go to the US, specifically Chicago, and start uh, university at a community college and then transfer to a larger college. Uh, From the book here, I'm quoting, The initial plan was for Bola to fly directly to Lagos uh, and then to O'Hare Airport. Unfortunately, there was bad news from Chicago, and the the news was that there was bad weather, and so instead they flew straight to JFK Airport, but they got shell-shocked on what awaited them. This is mid-1970s here. They were <laughs> The city was at the brink, garbage and dump everywhere, derelicts and vagrants jostled for space. They were being harassed by some urchins while some policemen and security guards handed them some pamphlets as new arrivals to the city. The City of Death, as New York was called. In one of the pamphlets, there was a picture of the Grim Reaper itself in the form of a skeleton, and boldly inscribed were these words, Welcome to the City of Fear, a survival guide for visitors to New York City. He and his friend left Legos together. Balaji Agaba exchanged glances. So I looked at this pamphlet. It is a real thing, and it was uh, the NYPD were distributing these things because the city was gutted financially, and so they wanted to drum up fear from tourists. You know, they actually made a movie about that trip where uh, Eddie Murphy and Ar- <laughs> Arsenio Hall played him and his friend. 
<laughs> All right, so Bola is that flupper? <laughs> um, I mean, that was I was I got that confused with the nutty professor. <laughs> it's so Bola and his and his friend would end up crashing with someone they knew in New York. And that guy was like, dog, the city's broke. It's this it's bankrupt. You you fucked up being here. And his uncle, uh Alu Papa, was like, Hey, what you, where'd you guys go? And they're like, We're in New York and his uncle said, Bola, Aloha Long Bay, New York, which translated is from Yoruba means Bola, New York is for rich guys. So nothing's changed if you know what I mean. Um mm-hmm. so then after this in this cause they're in the winter of nineteen seventy five if you haven't been to New York, just full of street urchins um, <laughs> asking for more porridge, trying to sell you newspapers. Oh, yeah. Um, so they're in New York for three days, and then they go to Virginia. Please, sir, can I have the pirate feed of your <laughs> podcast? <laughs> um, after three days, they go to uh, D.C., and they're, the, somebody they know there, Papola, advised them that it would be better if they went to Alexandria, Virginia to save money because D.C. is expensive. And so he helped them get a one-room apartment. And then they became cab drivers for about seven months. But then during that time, uh, at one point, Bola took a passenger who he didn't realize was drunk. When I drove to his house, he pointed a gun at me instead of uh, paying the fare. And he took my leather jacket and said, get in your car and get lost. So like he he's like fuck this I uh, I gotta figure something out so his uncle called and he said we did not send you to America to become a taxi driver but to go and study and become a responsible member of the society and do the family proud so under family pressure he decides to go to Chicago that summer so for the first eight months of their time in the United States they go from landing in New York to then being cab drivers in D.C. and then he ends up in Chicago and he first studies at Richard J. Daly College which now is a part of Chicago State University, but at the time was the community college of the area from my, my research here. But actually, Yogi, uh, I read on the papers he filled out when he ran for governor that he <laughs> went to the far more prestigious University of Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he he does claim later on he would go to... I mean, the book talks about how Chicago was great. There was black people there. There was a large group of Haitians um, at that time that were in Chicago. So he didn't feel like so alone in terms of how his experience in New York and D.C. Uh, he would be a security guard while going to school and he would lose that job because he fell asleep on the job. Later on, he would then uh, wash ditches, dishes in a Holiday Inn and getting paid $2.68. I mean, all of this stuff is like, it's not really that important. He got his, his cousin a job that came later. Um, he, he quotes himself as saying, I was good in mathematics and business courses. I see what you reveals. In fact, if I were to choose a career for myself, I'd have chosen marketing instead. Uh, and then so he graduates from Chicago State University in 1979. So at this time, he graduates and he then joins the Fortune 500 Corporation, uh, Deloitte. And... At Deloitte, he would travel the country and even parts of the world auditing other c- companies and corporations. And I personally think 
how he learned to fleece people later on in his life is when he's in his late 20s here, about 27 years old, working at Deloitte at a middle management position. And he, would, he wouldn't go back to Nigeria until his early 30s uh, for a job for Deloitte. And his mom was like, hey, you got to come back to Nigeria, bro. And he's like, I like being in Chicago. What's the point of coming back to Nigeria? Sit, sit, out, sit out a couple coups. <laughs> yeah. It is great that if you can just like stay awake in accounting classes, it's like a how-to guide on stealing money from people. <laughs> <laughs> so in the late 80s, Bola Tinubu would be working at Deloitte and he would visit Nigeria where his mom would be like, hey, come back to Nigeria, son, we need you. And he'd be like, nah, I'm good in Chicago, yo. And while he's in Chicago... He's offered a position at GE that is twice his pay and very lucrative. And Bola says, all right, I'm going to jump ship. And his boss at Deloitte says, bro, GE's racist. Don't go to them. You're going to realize that they're going to treat you like a black guy. And Bola's like, nah, I'm good, bro. I'm going to go to GE and get more money instead of staying here. And when he would go to GE, he would be paid double. And then he would be given a assistant who's white, who he's training. And when it comes time to promote Bola, they just promote the assistant above Bola. (laughs) And in that moment, Bola realizes, oh, fuck, this company sucks. I got to get the fuck out of here. And so in the early 90s, he would move back to Nigeria and work at a company called Mobile Oil Co. Now, the book and the Wikipedia don't cover this, but the reason he has the title of Bobo Chicago is because he is linked to dealing heroin from the late 80s to early 90s. And in this time, he would uh, forfeiture an estimated amount of $460,000 and up to $1.4 million in cash. Was it like 460000 in property and $1.4 million in cash? Uh, or apparently, it's all in cash, bro. Rainy Moss style, straight cash. Oh, so me. this is like different accounts? This is different accounts, yes. From the report itself, it talks about how he would deposit a sum of $1,000 in travel checks after five days opening account, specifically January 4th, 1990. He would deposit the sum of 80000 in the account. Later on, it talks about saying, in 1990 alone, Bola Tinubu deposited 661000 into his individual money market account. And in 93, he deposited the sum of $1,216,500 into the same money market account. Um People criticize him for this, but there's a good chance that by dealing heroin, he could have made Nevermind and In Utero as good as they were. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't about the money. He just wanted Kurt Cobain to have the inspiration. It It was about ending glam hair rock of the 80s. So he would be the bag man. And he would use uh, Citibank NA, Citibank International, as well as First Heritage Bank. Uh, here is an audio drop of everything that we just discussed. The 1993 drug narcotics charge. Unknown to Nigerians, <laughs> in 1993, six years before he ran for his first term in office in 1999, Tinubu was charged in the United States of America for narcotics or drug trafficking. Charged before the United States District Court, Northern District of Illinois, in a judgment docketed and dated October 5, 1993, the United States government compelled Tinubu 
to forfeit all sums in nine different accounts in First Heritage Bank, Citibank NA, and Citibank International. In the document titled, Degree of Forfeiture as to Funds Held in First Heritage Bank, it states clearly in Article A, unquote, the United States filed a verified complaint for forfeiture against the funds in the above-captioned defendant Tinubu's accounts because there was probable cause to believe that the property represented proceeds of narcotics trafficking or is a property involved in financial transactions in violation of 16 U.S.C. 1956 and 1957 and therefore was forfeitable to the United States." Unquote. It is alleged that Tinubu escaped physical time in prison by entering a plea bargain and thus forfeited all funds in all his accounts to the United States government. There is surely a lot more to Tinubu's dark past that Nigerians are yet to fully unravel. It ends with a Operation Hashtag uh, No Man Is God and uh, Hashtag Pharaohs of Lagos. Um, so yeah, so that entire story of um, GE was racist and uh, Deloitte wasn't, uh, I mean, maybe it's the fact that the U.S. government was like, hey, why are you running $1.8 million in drug money for heroin, yo? Um, other reports... <laughs> You got to give respect to him, though, because anybody who's dealing heroin with a with an accounting degree is just doing it for love of the game. <laughs> <laughs> you have like that part of the story doesn't make any sense to me. Like you have a good job. Why are you running heroin? <laughs> or is he doing the books for a heroin operation? It, I it's, mean, it's confusing. To it's me. it is intriguing. But in terms of Wikipedia, as well as the bio of uh, for some reason, they just don't mention this part. They don't mention why he's nicknamed Bobo Chicago. No, that doesn't seem like a relevant thing about a candidate for political <laughs> office. <laughs> I do want to mention, though, uh, the, the bank accounts, the nine different bank accounts that were seized uh, belonging to, you know, First Heritage Bank and Citibank, among others. That's actually pretty important because later on, when Bolotinabu is established in political office, those same banks would be accused of holding his foreign accounts of the money that he's stealing and offshoring from Nigeria. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it is kind of something that we've talked about with our offshore money episode with these uh, various corrupt uh, despots in um third world countries it's easy to just say oh this is just a corrupt country but at the end of the day it's always american and european banks who are cashing the fucking checks right so it is uh for some reason Citibank and first heritage bank have a relationship with him that goes back to his heroin dealing and then they're happy to help uh take the tax money of the good people of lagos from him as well yeah indeed so at this point, we're going to conclude part one on our episode of Bolane Ahmed Adekunle Tinubu, uh, the governor of Lagos, Nigeria. The man would later become the Lion of Bordillion and have a real estate empire that rivals... Uh, I mean, Donald Trump is kind of small compared to uh, Bola at this point, but there are several more scandals involving taxes and many, many other things that we'll be covering in our part two. Um, yeah, 
we've told the story of Bolo in America, but on part two, it's uh, the Empire Strikes Back and returns to Nigeria <laughs> and uh, brings his innovative heroin business strategies back home. Uh, once again, we want to give a shout out to our source, uh, Agent Jacko, the Galactic Patrolman from Twitter. Uh, thank you for suggesting this billionaire. If you have a suggestion, please let us know uh, via our Twitter. Uh, we really appreciate you listening to our program. Uh, thank you very much for listening to Grubstakers. Uh, my name is Yogi Polywall. I'm Sean P. McCarthy. I'm Andy Palmer. I'm Steve Jeffries. Check us out on Patreon. Thank you. Good night. Rather, it has become a mystery how just one man can play the masquerade and the masquerader in a macabre dance taking the populace nowhere but misery, poverty, and doom. And yet, he smiles to the banks, enjoying all the trappings of wealth. Who is this one man that is all so powerful to hold down the collective dreams of all? At various times in his questionable and weird past, he could have been known by numerous names and sobriquets like Yakinia Moda Ogunlere, Hamid Shongodele, Adekunle Tinubu, or Bobo Chicago. But he is known and addressed today as Ashiwaju Senator Bola Ahmed Tinubu, the Jagaban of Borgu Kingdom, a former senator representing Lagos West Senatorial District, former governor of Lagos State on the platform of the Alliance for Democracy, AD and current national leader of the All Progressives Congress, APC. With an enviable CV, it is best to deconstruct the real man called Ashiwaju Bola Ahmed Tinubu in order to unravel the facade he has been able to successfully build with time using several cronies and accomplices. The story of Bola Tinubu can best suit that of an Arabian Nights tale, a modern-day Alibaba and 40 thieves, but you all will be the judge at the end of this film as we unmask the real Tinubu, the infamous lion of Bedillion, the Jagaban Borgu, who arguably is the biggest landlord in Nigeria. Behold, Simi, life, real life, a thing that we have been denied for far too long. <laughs>